Oh, God bless you gasping Tanyas. Welcome to week number 36 of the Blind Boy podcast. 36 weeks, holy fuck. That's almost a year of me talking into your ear holes. Um, last week... Last week was a two-parter, it was a two-part podcast on the history of disco music and how disco eventually turned into house music. And the feedback for that was phenomenal, you really enjoyed it and I fucking enjoyed doing it. This week I'm going to go for another hot take but uh, something more metaphysical. But before we continue... um, First off, if you're new to the podcast, please go back to the very start. Okay? Um, Please do that. Secondly, I think... Actually, yeah, Google... If you're listening on an Android phone, I believe Google have a new podcast app called Google Podcasts, which you can listen to this podcast on. Or you can keep listening to it on Acast or on the iTunes app. Whatever. But what I would ask you to do if you're using iTunes, please take time out to review this podcast. Leave a rating, um, and if not, leave a rating, just uh, leave a little review underneath. Only nice reviews, no bad reviews, you prick. So this week, I want to talk about some hot, takey stuff. I want to talk about... A theory of reality and consciousness that goes by the name of biocentrism, which is, it's very difficult to explain, but it's highly interesting. And it's not my hot take, it's the hot take of a scientist by the name of Robert Lanza, who was an interesting individual. He is one of the world's foremost stem cell scientists, right? He's without question a fucking legend right he's one of the foremost stem cell scientists more bizarrely <clears throat> what his particular area in stem cell science that he specialises in is in how cells age and he himself is 62 years of age but if you saw a photograph of him he looks about in his mid 30s and I often wonder does he have some type of secret to youth and he's injecting himself with it it's possible he is the foremost authority on how cells age. Very odd. The other thing about Robert Lanza that's quite strange is kind of just his life story. It's almost too good to be true, almost fake, but it's not. <clears throat> Some say that the film Goodwill Hunting with Matt Damon is actually based on uh, Robert Lanza. Robert Lanza was from an incredibly poor working class area of Boston. And in America, if you want to go to university, then you better have a hundred grand because that's how much university costs in America. And if you're poor, you're not going to to university. That simple. So Robert Lanza was just like a child genius. And he'd been... 
I don't know the mechanics of the experiment, but when he was about 15 years of age, he was raising chickens in his back garden and fucking with their eggs. And whatever he did, he successfully managed to alter the genetics of chickens out his back garden. Something that you should not have been able to do, but he managed to do it because he's a genius. So he really wanted to go to the Harvard Medical School, one of the top medical schools in America, only accessible to very wealthy people. So what he basically did, he went to Harvard when he was about 18 and started kind of knocking on doors and he met who he... He met, he, met, he met a fucking a, a caretaker or a janitor in Harvard University and got talking to this janitor saying, I, I want to I speak to the fucking genetics department or whatever. And the janitor was like, oh yeah, yeah. And then Robert Lanza started telling the janitor about his experiment with the eggs saying, I've been altering the genetics of chickens in my back garden. And the janitor, of course, wasn't the janitor. It was a rather scruffily dressed man by the name of B.F. Skinner. Skinner is one of the most important behavioural psychologists ever. Um, He was actually, in 2002, he was voted the most influential psychologist of the 20th century. Skinner used to kind of controversially experiment on animals, rats in particular. He invented a thing called the Skinner Box, which basically kind of, it administered shocks to a rat, and it was based on shocking a rat or rewarding a rat with food. But what Skinner discovered is that free will is a complete illusion, and that human kind of actions depend on the consequences of previous actions. So... If the consequences or something are bad, then we're not going to do it again. And if the consequences are good, we're probably going to com- keep doing it. And this is one of the foundations of... It's called reinforcement. One of the foundations of uh, behavioural psychology. So Skinner, anyway, dressed as a janitor for whatever fucking mad reason was like, how the fuck is this 16-year-old altering the genetics of chickens out of his back garden? And he got Robert Lanza into Harvard Medical School based on his word alone. Um, I don't know what the story was with fees, but a very poor boy from a shithole of Boston managed to find his way into uh, Harvard Medical University. So Robert Lanza studied under Skinner. And from there he rose to become one of the foremost authorities on stem cell uh, fucking biology. If you don't know what stem cells are, because it's it's a word that's thrown around and they're quite controversial as well. Because of uh, scientists sometimes take stem cells from aborted fetuses. But what a stem cell is, is, and this is my really silly knowledge of it which could be wrong but I think I have the ballpark of it but we have cells cells in our body so if you you know your liver is made up of liver cells so your liver cell can only regrow into a liver cell and your kidney cell same thing 
right? But stem cells are these cells that are present in fetuses, I believe, and they can grow into anything. You can get a stem cell and you can tell it to grow into a liver if you want. So science is very much interested in stem cells because the hope would be eventually that, I don't know, if, if, if a human loses a liver or loses a kidney, that you can use your own stem cells to grow an exact replica of your liver in a lab and then put that back into your body as a new liver that is exactly yours not a transplant from another person that can sometimes be rejected but an exact copy of your liver or your heart or your lungs or whatever that is my very rudimental understanding of what stem cell and stem cell biology is so Lanz has this legend in stem cell biology but he also has a theory an overarching theory of everything a theory of the nature of reality itself which he calls biocentrism now this is just a theory and I'm not presenting it as reality I I just want to talk about it because it's incredibly fucking interesting incredibly interesting and it is a bit hot takey and I'm going to present this to you because it's worth thinking about and it's interesting I don't have the knowledge of biology or physics to refute any of it at all this is just a nice way to fill up some time with some head candy so traditionally how science kind of gets its head around you know what the fuck is reality what is the universe traditionally science does this with physics physics is the study of physical things You know, observable physical matter. That's what physics is, okay? From Isaac Newton up to fucking Einstein. Our understanding of the universe is based on physics, that particular science. What Robert Lanza argues with his theory of biocentrism is we should stop trying to understand the universe using the science of physics and instead use the science of biology. Lanza argues that... It, it, biology creates reality he argues that it is consciousness right of whatever being whether it be a human being or a fucking worm consciousness creates reality that physical reality is almost an illusion that is created by consciousness now that's a boiling hot take but if you kind of, if you think about it it isn't as well like we'd say whatever's around you right now okay you could be sitting down in the kitchen or you could be on a train for your morning commute whatever okay let's just say there's a table and chairs in front of you okay like you you're only you can only see this table and chairs and even if there's a cup of tea on it you can smell the tea as well or a coffee coffee's got a stronger smell but this table and chairs is in front of you with a cup of coffee on it and you're looking at it right now and you're smelling it and you can even touch it but the presence and existence of this table and chairs and cup of coffee 
they are merely translated into your mind. Okay? Visually, that table and chairs, what happens is that light hits off it. That light bounces into your eye. When it goes into your eye, some complex shit happens in your eyeball. Then the information of the table and chairs goes into your eyeball, into your brain, where a picture is formed. So you're, you're mer- merely receiving data of what that table and chairs is. Okay? And how that data is processed for you as a human being depends entirely upon... It depends on whatever kind of benefits our survival. Okay? There's plenty of data in that table and chairs that you're not seeing. We'll say, for instance... Our brains are limited by the spectrum of, spectrum of light that we can see. We as humans, we only see a certain spectrum of light. We don't see ultraviolet light, for instance, but it does exist. We just don't process that in our brains. Birds see ultraviolet light because it benefits their survival. Um, birds of prey, for instance, they see ultraviolet light because it helps them to identify piss trails of rodents which they can then eat so your brain is not seeing the ultraviolet light on the table the table how can we be confident that that table exists when what you're seeing is merely your brain translating information into a visual concept of tableness in your head what is that table like for certain animals don't have eyesight you know, um, deep sea fish, for instance, you know, or bats. Now, bats do have a certain amount of eyesight, but it's really shit. But bats see their way around a room using noise. They click their tongues and, the t- and it bounces back. What's, what's, what's that table like to a bat? Or is it communicated as a visual image? Do you get what I'm saying? Our brains interpret the reality that's in front of us depending upon our senses, taste, touch, sight, smell. So how can we fully trust our senses when we know that certain information isn't making its way in? I mean, dogs with their noses. Dogs have a very, very intense... um, olfactory system that allows them to smell they dogs smell they smell in a way yeah the way a dog smells like if if that cup of coffee on the table smells quite strongly of coffee you and I can only smell we'll say where that coffee is right now but what a dog does is a dog when it's trying to smell that coffee it it doesn't just smell the coffee on the table it smells a very complex trail, right? It's like a dog's sense of smell for that cup of coffee. It's like it, it, it can... It's hard to even describe it. This is the thing. Because I'm limited by my senses, it's, it's very difficult for me to describe the conscious reality of an animal that has different senses. A dog smells trails. So that cup of coffee in that room for a dog with its mad nose... You have to imagine it as the entire journey that that coffee took around the kitchen. You took the coffee out of a jar. You got 
you put it into a spoon that went into a cup. You then boiled the kettle, you put that into the cup and you moved the coffee from the kitchenette or whatever and you put it onto the table. That complex trail of data, that's that cup of coffee to a dog, okay? We don't get that. We don't have the complexity of an olfactory system to understand those trails around the kitchen. They're there because the fucking dog knows they're there. But how does that communicate on the inside of a dog's brain? And is it visual? Do you know? Just because it's smell. Is it, is, is it visually... Does the dog see a fucking map? Or is it communicated through touch? Is that why they follow that smell? all around the room do you get me so the dog has a different level of they have a different conscious experience of reality than you or I therefore how they perceive what we're both looking at the kitchen table and the cup of coffee they're different in two different creatures therefore how can we be sure that that is reality so in that instance that is a consciousness creating reality in front of us I hope that's making sense because this is um, this highfalutin shit this is four in the morning after a lot of giants talk so anyway like <clears throat> biocentrism would argue that consciousness kind of creates reality or almost simulates reality to an extent biocentrism would say you know, if a tree falls in a woods and there's no one around to hear it, does the tree exist? Biocentrism would say, no, the tree does not exist. If there is no conscious observer around to observe or to hear the tree falling, then the tree does not exist. And how much of our reality is is simulated to <clears throat> fool us, you know? I mean, another thing as well with looking at the table, and this is, I'm always talking about living in the here and now, which I'm a proponent of, but there's really no such thing. No matter what you're looking at right now, okay, you are forever looking in the past. It is impossible for the human brain to truly experience absolute nowness because it takes probably like a, a trillionth of a second right a billionth or a trillionth of a second for the light from that table to leave the table enter your eye and for your brain to process it into an image of tableness into your consciousness for you to be aware of so a tiny amount of time has has there's a there's a lag there's a lag there you know like like an internet connection Do you know what i'm saying our brains are a fraction of a second behind so there is no true nowness only nowness that we perceive. Everything you see is in the past. When you look into a mirror, you are forever looking at an earlier version of yourself. You no, you have no idea what you look like right now, and and nobody else has because we are our brains take that tiny bit of time away, so we're forever looking into the past. But simulation it plays a part of biocentrism too. And a good way to understand this is video games, you know. I play Grand Theft Auto V. You know, that's a video game most of you would be familiar with, okay? And video games are a good way to understand theories of simulation or theories of how the universe might be 
created or simulated by consciousness. When I'm playing Grand Theft Auto on the Xbox 360, right, which is an earlier, less powerful computer system, when I look off into the distance at a city, at the city in the distance, it's presented to me as... The buildings in the distance, basically, are kind of flat and just one colour, just blue. And the computer... I, I can drive towards those buildings in the video game. And I'll get there in about 30 seconds. And by the time I arrive there, the computer has willed them into existence. I can now see the details and uh, the buildings in greater detail. I can walk around them. But when I was far away from those buildings, they, the computer had not willed their data into existence. They existed as, as a simulated flat picture of the possibility of those buildings before I travelled to them. Because the computer isn't powerful enough to load all that data. What the computer does instead, when I'm playing Grand Theft Auto, it loads the data of the a small area around my character at that time. And anything beyond that area is presented as a simulation of possibility, a flat image of the city that lies ahead. When I play Grand Theft Auto V on my Xbox One, which is a more powerful computer that's capable of greater amounts of data, the first thing I noticed is that the city in the distance is no longer a simulated lie because that computer has greater power so those buildings actually exist I can hit them if I fire a gun at them I can actually hit them because the computer is more powerful and it wills more of an area into existence I haven't done a lot of acid I haven't smoked a lot of hash I know it sounds like this but I'm getting to something biocentrism would argue what if reality is like that what if the table in front of you, like right now, we know that that table is composed of wood and that that wood is made of many grains and it's made of atoms and it's made of woodness. But what if, we'll say, the data of our consciousness, that, that the table in front of you, is, it's, it's essentially lying to you, that it's existing as a flat, simulated image of the table that's fooling your brain but when you go over to it and you decide to cut the cut the leg out of the table and you know if you're trying to prove me wrong and go hold on a second blind boy this table's fucking real so let's just say you go over now and you rip the leg off that table and snap it on your leg and you know you look into that leg that you just snapped off and you can see hold on a second blind boy this is definitely a lump of wood I can smell it it was probably pine it still has those oils Biocentrism would argue that the action of observing it and investigating the table meant that it was simply willed into existence at that moment to accommodate your consciousness. But when you're not observing it, when it's there, it's a flat simulation of tableness, just like in the video game. Do you get me? And there's no real way for us to know because it's. It depends on who's observing it, okay? 
Now, when I'm talking about simulation, now, I'm, don't get confused with previous podcasts where I spoke about hyper-real simulacra and hyper-real simulation. That's a different type of simulation. That's cultural simulation. It has nothing to do with biology or physics. Cultural simulation... I don't know. How do we know we're living in a cultural simulation? Um, our reality as we live it, okay? Our cultural reality our language, our interaction with the world, our beliefs, these tend to be uh, created by media of some description. That is what a hyper-real simulation is. Here's an example. Our current uh, morality, all right? We, you know, we get rightfully outraged online about... The horrible shit that's happening in America at the moment, we'll say, with Donald Trump and immigrant children being separated from their parents. We get outraged about uh, the Me Too movement and sexual abuse. These are, of course, we should get outraged by these things, okay? I'm not saying we shouldn't. However, and this is the reality of the situation, which we generally don't get outraged about. We'll say that we, we, we get outraged about these things on social media, right? But the reality is the very phones that we use to tweet our outrage are dripping in human blood. Um, there's a thing called a conflict mineral, right? And there's three main conflict minerals. Uh, one of them is called cassiterite. It's made for making tin. One of them is called wolframite for making tungsten. Another one is called Colton for making tantalum. I don't know what that is. But these three main conflict minerals are essential to modern, to, to smartphones, right? The, the phone that you're listening, this podcast is dripping in blood. The technology that you're using right now to listen to this podcast and for me to make it, the phones and computers and infrastructure for this to happen a lot of it depends on what are known as conflict minerals. And conflict minerals are essential fucking natural resources that tend to exist in Africa. And child children are being abused and overworked and fucking getting their hands cut off and all the horrible shit that happens in, in the Congo. It's, it's mainly in the Congo, actually. Basically... In order for our phones to be cheap, African children need to go down mines and dig these minerals out and die early deaths and live horrible, horrible lives and become child soldiers because these mines where these things are, the ore is gotten from are controlled by warlords. Horrible, horrible. That's happening now. So, but however, our, our outrage is dictated not by what's actually happening, but by what the what our simulated cultural reality dictates, what what social media dictates, and I'm fucking guilty of that as well. I'm not being judgmental. I'm wearing clothes right now that were probably made in a sweatshop in the Philippines, you know. But that is our cultural reality. That is modern capitalism. In order for our phones, our laptops, or whatever, our clothes, in order for those things to be affordable and for our lives in the West to be 
comfortable and affordable, it requires brutality to happen in the lesser seen parts of the world. And how the companies do it is they basically, they remove themselves. They go, look, our tungsten or whatever the fuck, we know it comes from Africa, but we can't guarantee, we don't really know where it comes from. And that's how they distance themselves. Because if they would say, if they were to pay those people properly, then our phones would be something we couldn't afford. So, that's that's reality right now. And our, what we, you know, we, we'll, we'll get outraged about ISIS. The society that ISIS have, where they have public executions and things like that. But... ISIS who turned our backs on technology well technically we'll say um, their type of their particular strain of Islam uh, I think it's Salafism it's called is it Salafism what the fuck's it called it's a branch of Sunni Salafism Wahhabism Wahhabism that's what ISIS are into you know Wahhabism turns its back on technology and capitalism Instead, hoping for like an agrarian utopia where we don't have technology because they look at what we're doing as utterly evil. We think, Jesus, you can't be cutting someone's head off in front of everyone in the village. We look at that in horror and they look at us wearing fucking sweatshop clothes and think that's the evil thing. Because they're two different spectrums of a hyper-real simulacra. Our outrage and our... That is the hyper-real cultural simulacra. That's the hyper-real simulation. Our moral stance on society tends to be what is dictated by popular consciousness on the internet or whatever. Or, you know, you could be really shrewd and just simply say we, we don't get as outraged as we should be about sweatshops or conflict minerals because... They're too convenient to our current existence and it's a form of cognitive dissonance. You know, I'm guilty of that too. I'm not casting any judgment. This podcast has blood. It's dripping in blood. I'm mentioning that as an aside because it's different to simulated reality, which is what I'm talking about right now. Oh fuck, I hope you go back to the first podcast because I've gone straight in with some madness this week. I've just committed to a very bizarre rant and I'm going to have to see it out. But that's one of the joys of the podcast medium, isn't it? If this was on the radio, I'd have been asked to leave the studio by now. So, back to biocentrism. Robert Lanz's theory on how consciousness creates reality and reality is not a thing that exists but rather our not even our brains our consciousness creates it and we don't really know what consciousness is consciousness is is it is it is a, a an entity's ability to be simply aware of the world around it okay i mean do plants have consciousness they might have some they have senses do you know They've got the tropisms. They move towards light. They move towards gravity. They move towards water. 
recent evidence is suggesting that plants have a type of internet where they all communicate with each other that we can't see. We're unaware of the plant internet. Mushrooms have an internet where they all communicate with each other. And that's beyond our consciousness. We don't understand it, but recent uh, research is suggesting that, yes, there is an internet of plants. So how Lanza kind of backs this up with scientific theory, we'll say, you know, he he thinks that an attempt to explain the universe using just physics is ridiculous, right? If you want to understand the nature of the universe, you know, its parameters, what's going on, you need to understand how the observer, how the how the, the consciousness observing it, what that role is in understanding that universe. And that is based on the findings of quantum physics, which I'll try and explain in my silly limerick way because again I don't fully understand this I've got a rudimentary kind of understanding so quantum physics is it's different to there's traditional physics which you'd call Newtonian physics right Newton's physics which follows very straight observable laws that are predictable okay if you drop something, if, if, if you drop a fucking apple, it's going to land on the ground, okay? Newtonian physics is concerned with the observable physical things around us. Quantum physics is the physics of what happens when you... Things that are smaller than an atom. Everything's made up of atoms. On the subatomic level, traditional laws of physics start to break down. And this be... They started to observe this from... The 1920s onwards. This is when science starts to get incredibly fucking weird. And they still don't have a decent grasp on what's going on. But it is observable in in a laboratory situation. Quantum particles appear to change their behaviour. Depending on whether or not they're being observed. Okay? I'm not going to go into the mechanics of it because I don't fucking understand them but this is something that we know this is something that science knows when quantum particles are doing their thing now these are tiny tiny little things right observed with electron magnoscopes or whatever magnoscope is that even a word microscope quantum particles change their behaviour depending on whether or not they're being observed right also, if you get uh, photons, I think they're called, they're like particles of light. Sometimes they, they, they can separate photons, right? Keep them completely apart from each other. And if you do something to one photon, the other photon that's a good distance away, th- the same thing happens to that. And there's no observable connection between the two. This is what they try and do out in the fucking, the Large Hadron Collider, you know. They batter photons off each other all around Geneva in a big loop. Fuck, I'd make a shit scientist. But, anyway, look. Quantum particles change their behaviour depending on whether they're being observed by a conscious entity or not. Okay? We know this. So this is racking the brains of scientists. 
Now, the in, the, the instant kind of, the, the, the first assumption there is, holy fuck, the particles are conscious. The particles know that they're being looked at. What's going on? Or maybe there's a higher intelligence, a god, who is fucking with these particles so that even when you try and get at them, God goes, no, fuck that, you're not seeing this, I'm changing it, right? Biocentrism argues that that is proof right there that the consciousness is creating the reality. That it's not the particle that knows it's being watched. It's that the probability of what the particle does only happens because it's being observed. There's a theoretical experiment in quantum physics called Schrodinger's cat where we imagine a box and inside it is a cat, okay? And inside the box there is a vial of poison, okay? And whether or not this poison is released in the box to kill the cat depends upon a random subatomic event, okay? It depends upon one of these quantum particles, okay? So Schrodinger's cat's experiment posits that if this box is closed and there's no one observing it and you've got this subatomic particle inside, this particle is in the quantum superposition whereby because it's not being observed, it's in two states at the exact same time. Therefore, in the Schrodinger box, if there's no one there observing it, the cat is simultaneously both dead and alive at the exact same time. And only when a consciousness observes it do we find out if does the cat actually die or live. Right? Now, what that experiment fails to take on board is the consciousness of the cat. And there's a further experiment where the cat's consciousness is taken on board and it's a Schrodinger's cat experiment from the point of view of the cat which would argue that inside in that box in the cat's consciousness the cat can actually achieve quantum immortality. I don't even know what that means. So biocentrism uses the idea the the concepts of quantum mechanics to argue that there's no pre-existing reality. Reality is not a thing that exists. It is something that is created by consciousness if it is there to observe it. So let's take it back to the kitchen that you're in right now. Or the little kitchen I'd like you to think that you're in. With the table in front of you and the cup of coffee. You know, these things are there. They're, you're perceiving them in your brain as, you know, your brain is computing them into existence using your senses. Biocentrism would say that if you get up right now and you leave that kitchen and turn your back to the kitchen and go into a different room, the kitchen is not there. Okay? What it is instead is the table and the coffee and the floor. They're like the cat in that box they're they're a, a kind of a shimmering mass of possibilities possibilities of it's it's data that's not currently needed by the your your consciousness computer in the video game it's it's the illusion 
Do you get me? It's it's the buildings in the distance in Grand Theft Auto. So that kitchen isn't there. It's the probability of kitchenness. But if you go fuck that blind by the kitchen's there and you run back in to look at the kitchen, your consciousness wills its kitchenness into existence. So there's not two realities. There's not the reality inside your own head and then the actual reality outside of you that you interact with. There is only one reality and that is consciousness. The, per- the, the, the consciousness that allows you to perceive the illusion of this physical reality. It's a simulation. And it's not as mad as it sounds. I mean, one of the most important things that Einstein discovered is time, right? Something as basic as time. What could be more fucking basic as time? We observe the passage of fucking events. Einstein's theories kind of discovered that time isn't just a label for the passage of events, but time is a thing that can be bent and slowed and warped. Black holes. Time does not exist in black holes. Time is influenced by gravity. And this has been proven with, like, the twin experiments, I think they're called, but, like, time is like a... How do you describe time? Time's like a bed sheet, okay? Time and space are one, like a bed sheet. And mass can influence that. So... Let's just say, if you could spend an hour on the sun, right? The sun has much greater mass than the earth, okay? We're on earth time. If you could spend an hour on the sun, you couldn't because you'd be crushed to death and burnt to death. But if you could, if you could spend an hour on the sun, when you come back to earth, about 70 years will have passed. Also, what influences time is speed. They got uh, atomic clocks and they put one on the ground and one in a plane that flew around the world. And when the plane landed, the two clocks were out of sync because that little bit of difference in speed caused time to slow down for the clock on the plane. So this is observable fact. Time, this thing that we... Like, there's nothing realer than time. Time is, is bendable and malleable. And is subjective. Which is insane. How, how are we supposed to, you know, how the fuck are we supposed to get our heads around that? But that's the truth. So biocentrism tries to solve that by saying something so irrational as time, it can't be a, a reality that exists. That it is willed into existence. That time again and our perception of it, time isn't this thing. It's It's simply perceived by our senses and created by consciousness the known universe is perpetually expanding so it has an it has kind of like an end point so what the fuck is outside that nothingness biocentrism would say well that's so utterly irrational that it must be created by consciousness space as well as time your eyes are not necessarily a window to the world think more of instead of your eyes like a window imagine looking at your kitchen through your iPhone 
your blood dripping conflict mineral iPhone but you know when you look at that kitchen through the iPhone rather than through a glass you see that the iPhone is interpreting the information in front of it using its computer and displaying it to you on a screen now what happens when you fuck with it with apps you know you can turn on Snapchat and look at that kitchen and you can have a dancing character on that screen manipulating the table and the coffee you can have a a little man or a woman dancing around as, as you do on Snapchat or a filter that changes it you know because the brain of your iPhone is interpreting what's in front of it it's not a window that's that's kind of what it's like that's the consciousness the consciousness of your phone and one of the hottest hottest takes in biocentrism is that it argues that death doesn't exist that we cannot die because reality is created by consciousness and our understanding of time itself is flawed and Lanza backs this up with two experiments that happened you know in in 2002 these scientists got these particles of light photons and the scientists showed that the photons knew in advance what their twins would do in the future they were testing the like what I said before but the way that photons can communicate with each other when they're separated and we can't see how they can this experiment showed that they they knew what their twin was going to do in the future in 2007 there was another experiment where scientists showed that they, they again they were shooting photons into a collider or whatever the fuck it is and they showed that they could actually change what had already happened with the photons in the past the photons were passed through uh, like a fork and the photons had to decide whether they were going to behave like particles or waves when they hit a beam splitter and later on after the experiment had happened the person doing the experiment could switch a second beam splitter on and off and what that observer did at that point determined what the particles actually did in the past the experimenter chose the past of the photons I don't know what any of that means but I do know that it's what they get up to in the Large Hadron Collider and it's not pseudoscience it's this is that shit that's happening the Large Hadron Collider is a I don't even know it's an atom smasher it's, here's a depressing fact though the, the Large Hadron Collider I think it cost like however many billion to make but it didn't cost as much as what Facebook paid to buy WhatsApp but yeah that's biocentrism reality time space everything does not exist but rather created by consciousness and our consciousness is not individual it's all like one big consciousness and that is what the universe is like this type of computing energy of which we are all part of all conscious beings so Jesus Christ I hope you enjoyed that fucking rant that was 50 minutes that was 50 minutes of ye going is he after dropping acid 
No. Um, I just felt this week after after two weeks of podcasts that made a lot of sense. You know, those ones on disco. I, w- I wanted to try and talk about something incredibly complex that I have a basic grasp of it, but it's fucking, it's, it's pretty difficult. But if you want to learn more, just look up Biocentrism or buy the book Biocentrism by Robert Lanza. I'm not saying that shit is true. It's just a really interesting theory of existence and reality that I like. Um, maybe it's science fiction. I mean, fuck it, there could be people listening now who actually understand physics and biology who want to jump into their earphones and beat the head off me. But fuck it. That's what it was. That's what it was, a bit of crack for 15 minutes. So it's time now for the Ocarina Pause, which is the app, Acast, that this podcast is published on. Sometimes they insert digital adverts for some bullshit that you don't need, depending on your location. So you may... Ah, it's a quantum superposition. Here we go. Only spotted that now. Right. So you may or may not hear... I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play an ocarina, right? Which is my Spanish clay whistle. And some people are gonna hear an ocarina, and other people are going to hear a digital advert that's been put in by Acast. Okay. And fuck it. Maybe one lucky person will exist in a perpetual quantum superposition, where they are both hearing the ocarina pause and the advert at the exact same time, and. Only when they're consciously aware of it or when someone else observes it will we know. I just realised now that the ocarina pause is a quantum superposition. After 30 fucking 6 weeks. Wow. Alright, well here's our first consciously... Ah, no, fuck, I've done it now. Now that I, I have made it aware that the ocarina pause is a quantum superposition, it, it probably has stopped being one now. Let's do our first consciously aware quantum ocarina pause, ladies and gentlemen. You can't. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I hope that sounded sufficiently quantum. Um... So here is the, the, the begging part of the podcast. <clears throat> this podcast is funded by you, the listener. Occasionally, there's the odd sponsor or advert, but it is uh, arbitrary. And to be honest, I don't want to pander to advertisers. I don't want to change the content of this podcast to lean towards advertisers that would not be what the podcast is about I want the podcast to be this you know um, so how we support it how you support it really there's a Patreon page patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast and if you enjoy the podcast what I would ask you to do is give me the price of a pint or the price of a cup of coffee once a month and that keeps the podcast going, that keeps me in britches and it pays all my bills and makes my life lovely knowing that this podcast is how I earn my money, this thing that I love and enjoy doing. And it's so it's technically free. If you want to listen for free, you can. But if you are feeling kind, you can also become a, a patron of the podcast and give me a fiver or whatever amount of money a month. Some can listen for free, some can pay for it. It's up to you. It's uh, a pretty fair model, I think. You know? No one's forcing you. Um, but a lot of people do give their patronage because just as a reciprocal thing, they're like, you talked into my ear for an hour. I enjoyed it. Here's a fiver for a month. God bless. Um, Is there anything I wanted to speak about before I move on to some questions? Oh, thank you everybody who's been buying my book, The Gospel According to Blind Boy, my book of short stories. Um, It got reprinted there about six weeks ago, and it's been in the best seller charts ever since. Um, I put this down to people going on holidays and buying it in airports. But thanks very much everyone who's been buying the book. Um, I'm currently working on an audiobook version, which I will keep you updated on. I want a lovely podcast huggy audio version of the book that also has music that I'm making that goes underneath it if you go back to the first uh, episodes of this podcast there's two or three examples of me reading my short stories with music that I also compose underneath to create a theatrical mood so I'm aiming to do that for the entire fucking uh, book and release it as an audio book which I'll keep you updated on Please also recommend this podcast to a friend, especially if you're not living in Ireland. Recommend it to a friend, share it on your Twitter, on your Instagram, fucking on your Facebook. Just say it to your next door neighbour. There's a lad in Canada uh, who sent me a mail a while back and 
I don't know how it happened, but this lad, he lives in a, in a rural part of fucking Canada, and he's got a next-door neighbour, and the neighbour is a, a, an old fella, and somehow he just recommended the podcast to his next-door neighbour. Next-door neighbour fell in love with it, and now he's got this lovely relationship with his elderly next-door neighbour where they talk about this podcast every week in the arsehole of Canada. I fucking love that. That I really, really love that. Also, as well, um, if you are a regular listen, listener to this podcast, you'll know that there's two things that are consistent. An otter that lives in the Plassey River in Limerick called Yarty Ahern, who I keep a, 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 a regular eye on. Um, actually, this week, I should have read it out, actually. I'll read it out next week. This week in the, the Limerick Leader paper in, in Limerick, uh, there was an interview with Yarty Ahern, the otter, and a feature on him. Um, where he plead with the people of Limerick to stop leaving their fucking cans down by the river and clean up after themselves. But the other thing that's consistent with this podcast is I speak about my favourite pub in Limerick, Pharmacia, that's run by my buddy Mike, and I go in there and I drink tiki cocktails. But Mike gave me a text during the week, and he says, Well, man, a lad from America was just in, and he listens to the podcast and, and had come to Limerick because he was listening to it. He came in and he asked if I was Mike Ryan. He's sound. Would you give him a shout out on next podcast for the crack? Trevor and his Bjor from Pembroke, Massachusetts. So hello, Trevor and your Bjor from Pembroke, Massachusetts. So that's fucking nuts. Some lad from Massachusetts and his girlfriend decide to fucking visit Limerick and have a tiki cocktail in uh, Pharmacia because of this podcast. I love that. So share the podcast recommend it to people I want this to grow internationally I want some international fucking weirdness so let's get to some questions um now here's the thing I like I get so many fucking mails as well and this isn't the first time I say this I I get maybe 30 uh, private mails on Twitter a day and emails the whole shebang on fucking Facebook I can't keep up with all of them. I can't look at them all. Occasionally I go in and I try and answer your mails because <clears throat> they're long and I answer when I can but there's so many mails that are unanswered and that's not me being rude. I just physically don't have the time to answer them. Uh, generally with the questions for the podcast I take them on Patreon because it's easier to do it on Patreon because there's less people and I find that the people... The people on Patreon are very, very engaged because they've taken upon themselves to go, I'm giving blind by a bit of money. So those people tend to ask very engaged questions, whereas when I ask for questions on Twitter, it's 20% serious questions and 80%, you know, how, how long are my pubes, which I won't answer. I might, actually. Not my pubes, the person's pubes. If it was about my own pubes, i keep them shorn. But I can't answer how long your pubes are. I don't know. Are your pubes even real? Or are they merely willed into existence when you pull your own pants down? Uh, so Ben asks, What is your take on deja vu? In the past, when I have experienced it, usually with an eerie sense of foreboding. <clears throat> I don't know, deja vu is, is it's quite nice, isn't it? I do, I do enjoy a bit of deja vu. I, I like the... I love that it has a, a name for it. I love that it's so fucking strange it needs its own name. It's a French name as well. 
you often find the fucking Europeans are better than uh, the English language for having specific names for very strange things like the Germans with their Schadenfreude. I mean, I don't know what deja vu is. <clears throat> you know, maybe it's evidence of the simulation of reality. Some people say that it's, you know, another theory of reality is, is multiple universes. That when you get deja vu, it's a little glitch in the matrix and what you're experiencing is uh, something from a, a parallel universe where you're also existing. One of the multiple parallel universes. I don't know. I haven't a clue what deja vu, deja vu is. Jess asks, what are your thoughts on politicians taking credit for the grassroots work abortion rights campaign did over the last six years? It's fucking despicable and needs to be called out. Um, when, you know, referring to the abortion uh, rights campaign, referring to the, the Repeal the Eighth movement as a quiet revolution or a silent revolution, would you fuck off? It certainly was not silent. It was women screaming and roaring, okay? And it was silent because you didn't bother listening, okay? You didn't bother your whole listening. That's why it was silent for you in your perception of it. Um, There's people who've been campaigning for the repeal the 8th since the fucking 8th was brought in in the 80s. It wasn't silent for the 10 women a day who were travelling to fucking England to get abortions do not allow politicians to hijack the recent referendum that referendum was won because of mostly women who tirelessly campaigned non-stop and made it a popular revolution after years of it not being popular and worked without pay to fight for rights they should have had in the first place Um. I know that there is a... I can't think of the Twitter handle, but Finn DeWire, who was a guest on this podcast, who's a historian, he's currently um, doing a Twitter project that's attempting to archive all the Repeal the Eighth movement stuff so that in when history looks back on it, that there's a decent resource of information that shows that, no, it was not the politicians who led the Repeal the Eighth. It was the people it was women's voices and then at the end the politicians latched onto it and helped to push it through and gave support to it but many politicians who were supporters of repeal the 8th you'll find the evidence a couple of years before where they were pro-life you know they changed depending on the mood that that suited them and i am cautious as well of a lot of political parties that um helped to repeal the 8th obviously it's brilliant that they did it doing something that they should be doing anyway but the cynical part of me thinks that they're simply just very aware that there is a young politicised group of people in this country and they want to they're waiting a couple of years for those people to get into their mid 20s early 30s and for them to hopefully switch into party politics and to join their party as a supporter I think that's what they're doing there they're sowing seeds for future centrists as they see it that's the cynic in me but that's what politicians do isn't it it's a cynical system that um, tends to draw cynics into it not all politicians there are very sound Irish politicians out there 
um, they tend to be independent. That's what I find. But, you know, there's a few good eggs as well in the parties. They just have to tow a toxic whip sometimes. Rasmus asks, So apparently, the crab eater seal doesn't eat crab. They just found the first one around dead crabs and had assumptions. Any favourite misleading names? Um, off the top of my head. I don't know, is it a misleading name? But there's a, a misleading uh, kind of story. Actually, yeah, it is a misleading name. Or is it? Okay, the Dodo, right? The famously extinct bird, the Dodo. Um, The Dodo's name, it's a Portuguese name. And the Dodo was native of the island of Mauritius, I believe. Could be wrong there, but I'm, ne- I'm nearly sure it's Mauritius. So the Dodo's name in Portuguese means fat arse. And for years, uh, it has been assumed that the Dodo went extinct because... We'll say humans arrived on Mauritius and we're like, oh, we're on Mauritius. Look at all these delicious birds. Dodos who had no kind of natural predator. Dodos were small, short birds, flightless, slow, very easy to catch, incredibly easy to catch. And the assumption is the dodo went extinct because the Portuguese went to Mauritius and said, let's eat all these delicious dodos. And that's not the case. The dodo was called fat arse because it was like not tasty at all. They did catch dodos. They rubbed their hands together and said, yummy, yummy, lovely dodo for dinner. But when they cooked it, they were like, yuck, this is not tasty. It's too fatty. This is worse than duck. This is an incredibly fatty bird and it is not enjoyable to eat. So the dodo was not made extinct because of humans eating it. What made the dodo extinct was the introduction of pigs to the island of Mauritius. The Portuguese left a couple of pigs around the gaff. Dodo's got no natural predators. Its nest is on the ground, wherever, because who's fucking with a dodo's nest in Mauritius? No one. So then the pigs get involved in Mauritius, and they started to get very fond of eating dodo's eggs. So that's why the dodo went extinct, because pigs ate all their eggs. Not because humans ate dodos, because their name was fat arse because of their oily, oily meat. So that's, I don't know if that answers your question, but off the top of my head, it's not a bad answer, is it? Um, It is about a name and a misconception. It's kind of on, on the ball. So that's it. We've done an hour. It's three in the morning where I am now because I've spent the day writing furiously. So I'll leave you cunts go. Um, apologies if this week's podcast was just too fucking mad. This was this was an ex- this is definitely one of the stranger podcasts because I took it upon myself to try and explain a highly highly abstract concept and. If I didn't do a very good job of explaining it, just treat the podcast as a one hour long ASMR podcast, which is, it's a role play. It's a role play about someone who's just taken DMT. Okay, that's what the podcast was, an ASMR role play. 
of a person who's just done DMT and needs to reveal the their theory of the universe. I hope you enjoyed it anyway. I'll be back next week with... I don't know. I'll figure out. Maybe uh, something historical, maybe. I'll find some cool history stuff. So, look after yourselves. Have a bit of compassion for yourselves. Some compassion for other people. And... Keep an eye on black and white extreme thinking. Right? Um, It's just, especially online, it's just something I see. Um, the, the you're allowed to have nuance, but whatever, whatever. Most situations are complex; they're not black and white, and it's okay to ha- to hold two conflicting views on something in your head at the same time. Okay, that sounds very very abstract, but sure, there you go. Go in peace. You laminated, rectangular selection box of cunts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.